Well, the national appeal for this week's matchup in Lubbock isn't quite the same, but Oregon can still make a statement on Saturday. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. Fun fact, next person to leave a star rating of any kind... On Apple Podcasts will be the 50th one on there. I don't know. That seems kind of cool. So lots to get to today. Injury news, defensive rotations, another question about Colorado, a fascinating one that pertains more to Oregon. But all eyes are on Saturday because Saturday Oregon travels down to Lubbock. We are a six and a half point favorite against the Red Raiders of Texas Tech. That line has jumped from three after Texas Tech's disappointing week one loss at Wyoming. Now, I talked on yesterday's show about peaks and valleys and how not every week is the best performance a team has. And we've seen that from Oregon teams over the years. We lost to Stanford in 2021 and we beat Ohio State. There's a pretty big discrepancy between those two spots. So I'm not sure I expect Texas Tech to play as poorly as they did for the final three quarters of last Saturday's game. Because remember, they led that game 17-0 and then they fell off. But the, the matchup that's there, is still one that is going to provide a legitimate barometer for what to expect for the rest of the season. So last year, Oregon's statement game was not Georgia. That made a statement in week one of the wrong variety. But the statement game in which the performance dictated what we can expect and showed what we are capable of for the rest of the season last year was BYU, who was a solid football team as an independent now in the Big 12. They were 8-5 and five by the time the 2022 season came to a close. But when they came to Autzen Stadium, we were a 3.5-point favorite, which is not much. They were 2-0, and ranked 12th at the time, feeling good after a win against Baylor, who also had uh, an unfortunate loss on Saturday to Texas State, their first ever win against an FBS program. Good for the Bobcats. So, That was where that game was at. It looked like it might be close. And then Oregon came out and they had a statement game. They said, hey, this is what we're made of. This is what we're really capable of. And that game was kind of close in the first half. But then we started to, you know, middle eight them a little bit, which is a verb that I came up with a season ago because Oregon was prolific during the middle eight. Final four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half. We were like the best scoring team in the country in that time span during our eight-game winning streak. So Oregon did that to BYU in a big way. And at one point in time, that game was 38-7. to Ty Thompson actually took snaps in that game. Things didn't go very well, and Bo Nix and company had to come back out onto the field, mostly as a precautionary measure because Oregon was doing just fine. But the final score was 41-20. to And Oregon was able to deliver a resounding win. It felt like the season was back on track. And that's not where we're trying to get to with a win against Texas Tech. But I think the caliber of opponent is similar. 
a team that is capable of being over 500, a 7-8 win team, whereas before the year I would have said, I think Texas Tech, based on what they did last year and what they have coming back, is a 9 or 10 win team. And hopefully we'll be talking to uh, the Locked On Texas Tech guys, or one of them at least, on, on, on tomorrow's show. But I think those games, to me, look very similar, that it is a good barometer for what is possible. Texas Tech is still a team. They're, they're, they're the same team. Right, they just had a really, really bad Saturday. I do not believe Texas Tech is about to go two and ten in 2023. I don't think they're going to go from eight wins last year, including a bowl game victory over Ole Miss, to being a two-win team this year. I think they had a bad Saturday. Breaks didn't go their way. They were a couple plays away, a couple moments away from still ending up winning that football game. But they are still, I think, an average team in the Big 12. Maybe above average if they reach their full potential, but they're an average to above average team, six to eight win team in the Big 12 this season. I feel good about Oregon's chances, slightly better after Saturday, but overall, I still have my attention on high alert going into this matchup in in Lubbock. And I think that especially for Oregon's defense, we're going to have a chance to see what exactly they're made of, what exactly they've got, because we know they're better on paper. And they allowed just 200 yards of total offense on Saturday against Portland State and only 52 passing yards and all that was good and fine. But we all know that that was Portland State. So this is the first real barometer for, okay, defense, what are you in 2023? Because this is on the road too. This is inside the cozy confines of Autzen Stadium. This is on the road, hostile environment. The tortillas will be flying, which is a real tradition they have down there. You can look it up. It's a very real thing. And there were a couple numbers that I, I wanted to talk about in terms of how the defense can make a statement as to what we should expect to see from them for the rest of the season. So in that game on Saturday, in which Texas Tech was on the road, and I think them being on the road in what was a good crowd in a hostile environment kind of balances out with the greater talent that Oregon has on their team. I think Oregon's talent is greater than you know the home field advantage can create, but certainly there is a factor there. But on Saturday, against the Cowboys of Wyoming out of the Mountain West, Texas Tech was 7 of 17 on third down. They were 2 of 2 on fourth, but they were 7 of 17 on third down. So if we play the game on Saturday, even if we win, and we look back and Texas Tech is 8 of 12 on third down, we will know, at least at that point in time, okay, that element of the defense has not improved and needs to get better. Texas Tech in that game ran for 93 yards on 2.8 yards per carry. Now, this is an air raid offense. They want to throw the football. Tyler Shuck is at the middle of, of what they're doing there, but they did not run the football effectively against Wyoming. Maybe it was an off day. It's not a huge part of their philosophy, but we should not see a defense on Saturday from Oregon that gets torched on the ground because if Wyoming's able to slow them down, they were at home, but we've got more talent. We should be able to slow them down. Texas Tech threw the ball 47 times. Not in the Portland State way, who only threw it 20 times. And just about every one of those throws was a quick hitter. There were, I think, six pressures created, I heard, on on Aunts and Audibles talking about that. Six pressures on 20 pass attempts. Now that's against an FCS opponent. If they create that rate of pressure against Power 5 opponents be in pretty good shape. That's one out of every four dropbacks in which the quarterback is under pressure and the play gets disrupted. Yeah, that'd be pretty darn good. And eventually, when you have actual dropback passing plays, they'll turn into sacks. So 47 pass attempts for the Red Raiders, three sacks. Those are the key areas 
that I'm looking for in this game. Passing yards, look, I would love for Oregon to hold them to 220 passing yards or something like that. But when they're running the air raid and they're just throwing the ball so much, inevitably you're going to have more passing yards. What I'm looking for is, can we get off the field on third down, don't allow a passing team to run the football with great success, and get pressure on the quarterback. Those three stats, we should be able to, at the very least, replicate the performance and the numbers that Wyoming was able to put up on Saturday down there, or over there, I guess it would be in Laramie. I suppose Oregon is slightly above geographically, so down and over there in, uh, in, in Laramie. Up from where I am, though. In, uh, in in Southern Utah. So those are kind of where I think Oregon's defense can make a statement and make us feel, okay, the upgraded personnel is matching with better play calling and, and a better scheme and a better approach and being, you know, more well coached across the board in the tackling department or just making more impact plays. Everything that we want to see from the defense. Those are the areas. Third down, yards per carry, and sacks. Again, 7-17, Texas Tech was on third down. They ran for 93 yards on 2.8 yards per. They threw it 47 times. They were sacked three times. I would love to see four or five sacks. I would love to see anything under three and a half yards of carry. And I would love to see under 50% on third down. They do that. I'll feel really good about the defense going forward because I still think this is a solid, not great, but solid Texas Tech team. Now, who's going to be rotating in defensively? We saw a lot of different guys rotating on Saturday. I don't suspect it's going to be at quite the level it was against Portland State when we take on Texas Tech. I do suspect that if you go check out eBay Motors, you'll find that for a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. Just like with the defense, it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just Right, so the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports or building a defense, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors and having the right parts matters. With over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. I don't know that bringing home a win at Texas Tech is going to be easy. I do think Oregon is more than capable of getting it done. Now, guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only exclusions apply. But go to eBay Motors, get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride eBay. Let's ride our second segment sip into the rest of the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch it. We're we're starting to push closer towards 3,500 subs on YouTube. Can we get there? Before the Texas Tech game? <laughs> boy, let's find out. Now, defensively, I think it's going to look a lot different in terms of the personnel who actually take the field and are making plays for the Ducks. Hopefully they're making a lot of plays on Saturday. Couple of notes on, on injuries, players who didn't play in the Portland State game or have been held out of practice or who were brought out of the Portland State game. Um, there, there are a few injured Ducks who reportedly have returned to practice. Now, that doesn't automatically mean they'll be on track to play this week. We'll have to monitor that as things go forward. But returning to practice is certainly a sign that they'd be more on track to play this week. And if we held them out for precautionary measures like Noah Whittington, that would make a lot of sense because, as you can probably figure out, we could have thrown our third team out there. And I think Austin said could have beaten Portland State. So no reason to risk anybody in that environment. 
List of injured ducks who returned to practice. Chris Hudson. That's why we saw a lot of Gary Bryant Jr. Because Chris Hudson was unavailable. Saw a lot of Tez Johnson as well. Both guys look good. Casey Kelly did not play on Saturday. That's the tight end transfer from Ole Miss. Noah Whittington was in briefly, then got hit, went to the locker room, and was uh, appears to be okay back at practice here. Justin Jacobs, who we didn't see, and I'm excited to see. Uh, the PFF grades for the linebackers, which just to give you a representation, because I was poking around on, you know, how they viewed uh, or Oregon's personal player grades on Saturday, just to give you an idea of how heavily rotated everybody was on offense or defense, there were only a handful of guys that got past the uh, the snap requirement to qualify for a full PFF grade. Like some guys did really well, but didn't play enough snaps. Some guys didn't do well, but also didn't play enough snaps to where they'd be ranked, you know, compared to their peers at other positions nationally for the week. So I think that was pretty indicative of, you know, what we saw on the field, which was, eh, you know, like I was talking about on yesterday's show, everydayers may remember, you may not, I'll remind you anyway. It was like cooking spaghetti. You grab it, you throw it at the wall, you see what sticks. And if it sticks, great, then you do that again. But I think that's what they're doing, trying to protect guys from injuries, get everybody some reps, and find the right combination of defensive players to hopefully have a dominant showing this Saturday against Texas Tech. So uh, Justin Jacobs was back in there, Mace Funa and Evan Williams. Neither of them played on on Saturday, I don't believe. So both of those guys at, at the end, I think, are going to be starters. I think Justin Jacobs is as well. And I, I'm glad to see these guys back. I think Oregon showcased their depth on Saturday because we saw a lot of a lot of really good play on both sides of the ball. And of course, a team is made up of individuals. So if you have good individuals, you are going to have a good team more often than not. I think there are three guys in particular, uh, or, or sorry, two guys in particular and three takeaways I've got from kind of all, all that leading into this week against Texas Tech. So, so number one, if Evan Williams is healthy, I expect him to play more than Steve Stevens the fourth. Now, Stevens has been a veteran in this secondary, and I think it is an important voice in that room. He doesn't make a lot of impact plays. Like, he's a capable starter, but he's definitely not a guy who I felt coming into this year had a lockdown on the free safety spot. I think Evan Williams came in for a reason. He was voted by the Pac-12 coaches as preseason All-Pac-12 second team. So I feel like there's a strong indicator there. He's a really capable guy, and if healthy, I think he will play quite a bit. Tysheem Johnson had a really good week per PFF, and you know he was one of my standouts that I talked about on yesterday's show. If you missed that, go check it out. He was one of my standouts in the entire game, and he was the only guy in PFF who graded well uh, for safeties. Nobody else did phenomenally great, but you know you have to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt because, number one, the defense played awesome, and, and number two... When you're not playing every single snap, it's hard to build momentum. You know, like if I am playing well for a few holes of golf, but then all of a sudden I sit for 20 minutes on the tee box, it feels a lot different by the time I swing a club again. So I I, I, I wouldn't look too much into those grades. I think as usual, those kind of numbers or stats are a starting point, but not an end point. So I think Evan Williams, uh, if he's healthy and ready to go, will play a lot. And Steve Stevens, the fourth we'll probably not see as many snaps uh, as we've seen from him over the last few years or even this past Saturday against Portland State. Um, but Tysheem Johnson, yeah, I definitely expect him to be out there in, in, in a big, big way. I think he looks great. Uh, another expectation here on the rotation side of things. 
Justin Jacobs was not available Saturday. So Bryce Betcher made the first tackle. I don't expect that to happen. We saw a lot of rotating of, of bodies in there. Connor Soley, who had, who had five tackles on Saturday, kind of quietly, right? But sometimes the best things happen in silence. Now, podcasts, great podcasts don't happen in silence, but sometimes other things do. Just move in the shadows. Put your head down, go to work. Don't need to be on social media with your workout. If you're just doing your thing over there, you're going to be getting bigger and better, faster, whatever you're trying to do. Not everybody has to see it for, for it to actually be happening. It's like selling a car. Have you ever seen a car sales or a, uh, have you ever seen the sale of a car take place in person? I haven't. I know that they happen, though, because there are a lot of cars out on the highway. So just because you see it doesn't mean it isn't happening. Um, I, I say that to point out that for Sully, he had five tackles. I couldn't tell you any one of them, and I was watching about as closely as I could, uh, meaning you know, I think one or two might have come on special teams, but he didn't make any like high-impact plays. But he's out there. He's doing stuff, and the box score reflects that. I do expect Justin Jacobs to play more than Bryce Betcher or – Connor Soley or Jeff Bossa. I, I think that any of those guys, I think your starting linebackers are probably going to be Bossa and, and Justin Jacobs. If Jacobs is ready to go physically and, and back out there, I think Jamal Hill has got a lot of upside. We haven't really seen a lot of him at the linebacker spot, but I think it's intriguing to take a veteran like that and put him down in a new position. They did it for a reason. He bulked himself up. And I, I thought he did all right on, on Saturday. Didn't do anything spectacular. I didn't see him do anything terrible either. So um, I would expect Jacobs to certainly uh, be more involved. Rotationally along the defensive line, this is kind of my third takeaway on, on this front. I think the defensive line is still going to see a lot of different bodies. So they had a number of freshmen get into the game. Now that was partially because they were against Portland State. But I was watching Casey Rogers and Jordan Birch and Taki Taimani and Brandon Dorless and everybody and Mateo and Blake Purchase out there. And then when when the four-star freshmen uh, got their turn to go into the game, you know, the, the Amari Washingtons, the Terrence Greens, the Ashton Porters of the world. PFF loved Terrence Green. I think he only had a few snaps, but he did very, very well. One thing I noticed from all of them is, pff, boy, I don't think they need time in the weight room to get themselves ready to play power five college football. Like they looked like they were big enough and strong enough and capable enough to, to play right now. That doesn't mean they aren't going to be better players by the time 2024 rolls around. But I, I think they have the depth on this defensive line to maybe play a couple of those freshmen sometimes if they feel like they're ready. You know, I remember uh, in the recruiting process long ago, John Garcia was telling me he felt that Ashton Porter had probably the highest floor of any of Oregon's 10 defensive line commits outside of Mateo Uyunglele. So I, I think they have the depth to rotate guys at basically every spot, maybe not as much at the edge position. Um, depends on what kind of sub package you're in defensively and whether or not you want to have two edge guys or a defensive end and an edge player or, you know, what you're doing or move a strong side backer down. Um, you know, with Mace Funa out, we saw Marion Winston in there. We saw Mateo line up on the end of the defensive line, Jordan Birch defensive end, Dorlos can play defensive end. Like there, there are options there, but there are options on the interior too. I mean, Casey Rogers, uh, to no surprise was disruptive last year or last week, uh, 
against Portland State. Taki Taimani, I thought, had a, a really sol- solid game as well. So I think that's where you're going to see the most rotation. But I think overall, along the defensive line, you're going to see things shore up a little bit compared or outside of the defensive line, excuse me, you're going to see things shore up a little bit. I, I don't know that Bryce Betcher and, you know, if one of uh, Connor Soley or Jeff Boss are struggling, I don't know that they'll actually, you know, see the field in, in, in a major way because it's not experiment time. It's give me some results time for, for the Ducks uh, defensively. I don't think you'll see so many defensive backs on the field. I think we'll have an idea of who they were most impressed with, who they like and, you know, best guess, Kyrie Jackson, Dante Manning, and Triquez Bridges with Jaleel Florence. Uh, and I'm missing a corner in there uh, somewhere. But Nickel, you know, Nico Reed, maybe a little Cole Martin, uh, Tyson Johnson, Steve Stevens, Evan Williams, Brian Addison. I think that's probably going to be the, the consistent rotation of guys. So uh, that's that. All right, let's move into the mailbag. YouTube comments or Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. Always available for you. DMs and mentions wide open for everybody. You can tell me I suck. You can tell me I'm great. You can tell me I'm just okay. Or you can ask me a question. Bud, an everydayer, did just that. Mailbag, what is the impact of Colorado's win over TCU and the surrounding hype around Deion Sanders on one, the emphasis on the transfer portal over recruiting high school athletes, two, the patience of fan bases with coaches who don't make immediate improvements year over year, and three, the development of college football players versus the free agency of the transfer portal. This is a really, really great question. I'm going to answer each of these points. So uh, what does it say about college football and the emphasis on the portal versus recruiting high school kids? Number one, the impact of Colorado is unclear, though it feels monumental right now. There are 12 weeks left in the regular season plus postseason to play out. So Colorado made a huge jump from last year, no doubt. USC made a huge jump in one year into Lincoln Riley. So if you have the right coach to bring in talent, yeah, you can completely change the trajectory of your program in just one year, as long as you're at a place that's sufficiently attractive with a brand that's good enough, like Colorado, to get a coach like Dion and to get players to come and play football at a high level. Now, I think the portal was already in a place where people were looking at that on an annual basis more than the high school recruiting class because it's just hard for true freshmen to come in and be ready to play. Some need time to adjust to the speed. Some need time in a weight room. Some need time to learn playbooks. It doesn't always happen right away, and it's pretty rare that true freshmen come in and you know make a high impact. It's always been that way. But I think it is definitely more emphasized now that true freshmen aren't expected to play because of the portal. And you can just bring in players who who are more veteran and experienced in that sense. Like Tyler Turner and Cody DeCambra both saw the field on on Saturday. If the portal weren't a thing and Tysheem Johnson and Evan Williams hadn't come in, I'm not so sure Tyler Turner or Cody DeCambra wouldn't be one of the rotational safeties on the back end of this Oregon defense. They're both four-star recruits, talented guys. DeCambra from Vegas, Tyler Turner from Texas. I think that they, you know, both have real upside and will be part of Oregon's uh, secondary going forward if if they end up hanging around in the long run. I've seen nothing to indicate they won't, but hey, it's a crazy world out there. Portal is always available to people. So I think the portal was already there. I don't think Colorado is making an impact in terms of, you know, is a program going like Oregon going to suddenly recruit only transfer portal kids and ignore the high school? 
What it is going to do is lay the blueprint, and Texas State showed this as well, when they upset Baylor, they did so on the back of a bunch of transfers. And they brought in more transfers than anybody else in the country. And I think you'll see that happen more often. However, high school recruiting is not going away. And it's not going away for Deion Sanders either. I mean, you know who else had a huge game for Colorado on Saturday? Dylan Edwards. You know what Dylan Edwards was on Saturday? Playing his first college football game as a four-star true freshman running back right out of high school. So you can find good players from the high school ranks who are ready to contribute right away. It's easier to do in the portal. I think we already knew that. That dynamic isn't changing because of Dion. What is perhaps the volume of transfers when a coach comes into a new situation, but I don't expect Oregon or the big programs like, or, like Georgia and Bama and Ohio State and Texas and LSU and everybody to just suddenly stop bringing in top 10 classes in favor from the high school ranks in favor of just trying to get a top five portal class. They'll go after the top portal kids. Don't get me wrong, but you won't see them just stop recruiting high school kids. I, I don't see that as, as a possibility whatsoever. And not that you were implying it, but I don't think that it's going to be a radical shift. I think the adjustment has been made. The adjustment you might see because of Colorado is some new coaches might come in and say, okay, we can overhaul this roster. The second part about the patience of fan bases with coaches who don't make year over year improvements Depends on the coach, depends on the program. Because Dion is his own brand that goes with him everywhere he goes. And that allowed him to change Colorado's trajectory in just one year. Lincoln Riley had an established brand as a coach and had talented players at Oklahoma that came over with him, like Caleb Williams and Mario Williams, no relation, to help make USC a good team right away. But not everybody can do that. Like, building a great roster through the portal is not available to Oregon State and Washington State and Stanford and, heck, even Arizona or Utah even doesn't bring in that many transfers. They're more about, you know, recruit their guys and develop them. Again, all these places will bring in transfers, but to bring them in the way that some of these coaches are doing, that's an anomaly. The norm is going to be bring in transfers who can help your program, develop high school kids as well. And yeah, you'll have a higher percentage of transfers playing than high school kids compared to what you would have had, say, 10 years ago before the portal was a thing. That's the reality of it. I think we already knew that. But the patience with fan bases on coaches, it depends on the program, the standards, and and the head coach. Third thing that Bud asked about, the development of college football players uh, versus the free agency of the transfer portal, that's up to each individual kid because... Not everybody finds a home. You know, I'm going to be calling a game this Saturday in in Provo that's got several former Ducks on it, and they're, you know, doing just fine. Harrison Taggart, uh, four-star linebacker, is, uh, I think, uh, the number two middle linebacker at, at BYU, and Southern Utah is going to go up against them on, on Saturday, 1 p.m. Mountain Time. I'll tweet out the link from my personal account if you want to tune in. I know some of you tuned into my call against ASU, which I appreciate, but... Kingsley Suamataia is also over there and he's been developing just fine. And then other guys have gone places and they haven't made a name for themselves as much. But then there's Trey Benson at Florida State. He's playing on a national title contender right now. Been really, really good. Could have been a good player for Oregon, is a good player for Florida State. It's much like recruiting in general. It's hit and miss. Like not every situation is the same. The circumstances vary from player to player, from team to team, from coach to coach. And 
Some guys are going to transfer and find the right situation to become the best version of themselves. Some guys are going to transfer and they'll just never find a home to maximize their potential. And they might look back and say, man, I should have just stuck it out at Oregon. If I was going to be, you know, second or third string, maybe I would have rather done that with the Ducks than than somewhere else. And some guys will say, hey, I'm glad I left Oregon because I'm playing a lot more over here. And that's getting me a lot more opportunities, whether with NIL at that school or a chance to get in, into the NFL. So anyway, those are my uh, great questions. Great, great questions. Uh, last one, a fun one here from my guy, Beginner Catholic, longtime listener of the show. One of the oldest listeners of Locked on Ducks, I think, as in he's been listening for the longest. He's one of the longest tenured listeners that I've got here, uh, every day, or as we call him. He asks another question, continuing the theme of food comparisons. I'm all for it. If Oregon bowl wins were desserts, which would they be and why? So I went with bowl wins that happened in my lifetime because I wasn't there to kind of feel things like the 03 Fiesta Bowl. I was alive, but I didn't, you know, feel it uh, and whatnot, or 2001. I, I didn't. Case in point, right? Going with bowl games that I remember. So let's rattle these off. 2007 Sun Bowl. First one I remember, it's vanilla ice cream. It's nice, nothing special. I like it, not amazing. Next year, Holiday Bowl. Bigger bowl, bigger game, iconic moment. That's an ice cream sundae because we upped the ante from the previous year. 2011 Rose Bowl. It was a creme brulee because that was the first big time bowl win. In my lifetime. Again, not forever. In my lifetime as an Oregon fan. So that's creme brulee because that, boy, that's top shelf. You remember that feeling so vividly of breaking the top of that caramelized sugar and having that be the crunch on top of this light, decadent, sweet cream underneath. And I remember D'Anthony Thomas breaking it free and the clock running out on Russell Wilson very, very vividly. 2012 Fiesta Bowl is what I'm going with slightly dry German chocolate cake. German chocolate cake is wonderful. It's dense. It's rich. It's one of the best things you can have in the dessert world. But I emphasize the slightly dry part of it because that year is what could have been if Maldonado had made a field goal, perhaps. Or if D'Anthony Thomas had thrown a block down the sideline. Either one. 2013 Alamo Bowl the next year. Apple pie. Not amazing, but it still feels nice going down. 2014 Rose Bowl, one of my favorite things ever. Berry cobbler, warm with ice cream. One of the best things out there. 2018 Red Box Bowl, it's weird, but it was good, I guess. It's not the best, but it works. That's what we call the cronut, croissant donut. Weird, it works, tastes good, not a top five dessert, but you know what? I'd rather have one than not. 2019 Rose Bowl. Swedish pancakes. Now, that's a special dessert item that I've always had for breakfast. For me, because that's what my mom made on Christmas morning growing up with Swedish pancakes. And I put that for the 2019 Rose Bowl because Justin Herbert winning that Rose Bowl for Oregon in his senior year, that hit home. And nothing makes me feel at home quite like Swedish pancakes. My mom is one of the greatest cooks I have ever known. Probably the best one that I've that I've ever known. Uh, she makes a litany of wonderful things. Uh, and last one, the 2022 Holiday Bowl. We're right back to apple pie. Not amazing, but it feels nice. And I'd rather have it than not. It's not a top shelf dessert or anything like that. But you know what? If you ask me tonight, would you rather have an apple pie, a slice of apple pie, or not have a slice of apple pie? 
I'm not going to die if I don't have it, but it sure is nice to have it. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. And until then, have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.